All right, welcome to the Let's Big Eat Big Show. Don't remember what episode we're up to, but we're going through. Colm is not here today. He is busy doing night shifts for a new gig on the ambulance, helping people that are almost dying at nighttime. So he's uh, he's going pretty nuts doing that stuff. But <clears throat> I, did, I posted a tweet just this morning covering essentially why stretching sucks for improving mobility and flexibility. And makes sense to do a little space on this and chat more about why because obviously there's only so much you can write in a tweet and also i know mona wants to talk about our little photo shoot that we had recently we both pushed hard towards that i ended up losing like 13 pounds in five-ish weeks um we actually had the photos yeah how much did you gain but i gained a lot of muscle yeah you look beastly so we will actually i'll send those out over the email make sure you're on the email list so if you listen to this um you can down in the description there will be links to programs there you can join the email list there or even in on twitter in the main profile link in bio there there is another link there to an email list. but we'll send those out to show you what can be done in a short amount of time and when you have a strong enough why to stick to something which we've talked about a lot on this podcast so just drinking some creatine here. But so we're going to bust some stretching myths because people love talking about you should stretch before training, you should stretch after training, you should stretch at night, you should stretch all the damn time to be more flexible. I mean, some common myths are stretching after training will reduce muscle soreness or stretching before training will reduce the risk of injury or stretching often will improve flexibility and further prevent injury. You're in pain because you're not flexible enough or being more flexible means better athletic performance. And a lot of these are, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you've heard all of these leaf at some point, haven't you? Yep. No, definitely. I mean, like being in the sporting world and competing like at an elite level for over 20 years, like I've literally heard it all. Like it's gone where you should stretch and then not stretch and how back to stretch. Like, yeah, it's crazy. It's like almost like the whole squatting as well. When like I started and people were like, you should not squat with your knees over your toes because, and you should not lift. Like if you lift and catch a weight, your, your knees should not go over your toes because you will get knee injuries. And it's like, (laughs) what the hell, you know? And now those people are quiet (laughs) <laughs> because they're like, oh, these people have been lifting three times their body weight for over 10 years and they don't have broken knees. In fact, their knees are probably healthier than the people who didn't do it. Who sit and watch football and get Uber Eats every day. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to address the first, the first stretching myth. So around stretching after training to reduce soreness or delayed onset muscle soreness. This is often referred to as people who say you have to cool down, you have to stretch after training or you're going to be sore, which is completely false. There's a couple of uh, really good studies on this, one of them by Chung and colleagues in 2015 and one by Herbert and colleagues in 2011 as well. So I'll quickly just give you a quick, uh, I guess, read of the conclusion on this one. So studies which have investigated the effect of stretching prior to, after, or before and after eccentric exercise when we're talking about eccentric exercise we're talking about uh lengthening contraction typically um 
I guess, providing the most soreness after training compared to any other type of exercise. So for example, if you think about uh, doing cycling or hard bike sprints, even though your quads might feel very pumped, you don't have a lot of soreness going in later that day or the following day. But with eccentric exercise, for example, lowering down on the squat, you have a lot of soreness the following day or even running downhill. But after stretching before, after, or both has shown no preventative effect of stretching on DOMS or delayed onset muscle soreness. So basically stretching had no effect on the soreness subjects have uh, felt from training. And this is uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven different studies that have found no uh, effect of stretching on delayed onset muscle soreness. And then... <clears throat> Well, and, uh, a slightly older review, same exact same conclusion. Basically, uh, when this first when this review was first published, it concluded that the available evidence from randomized studies indicated that stretching soon before or soon after exercise does not produce important reductions in muscle soreness in the few days following exercise. Exercise, and that's the same in this study. So, there's been multiple different reviews showing stretching does not reduce muscle soreness, and I'm sure positive sure that you've also felt the same way everyone listened to the stretching exercise and you still feel sore the next day it did nothing for you you may think that stretching made you less sore than if you didn't stretch but no and i think one of the biggest mistakes is people will stretch after doing eccentric style exercise so for example if you're doing romanian deadlifts you've already put a huge stretch on the hamstrings so why do you need to sit there and static stretch them you're literally just doing the same thing with less load or trying to really push the stretch tolerance when you've already done it under load so avoid doing that uh so we also have oh actually to follow on from that stretching can actually cause muscle soreness which is probably something that you Okay, you generally want to avoid performance-wise, but this is just to give you an idea that uh, a good study from Smith and colleagues in 1993, you know, static and ballistic stretching. So holding a stretch for 60 seconds uh, or performing kind of like a bouncing stretch. So I think a lot of people do that as part of the one they kind of bounce in their stretches. You know, both types of stretching in uh, this study resulted in delayed onset muscle soreness which peaked 24 hours after stretching so and static stretching resulted in significantly higher level of DOMS and the ballistic stretching so that's just uh, something that, to be aware of that's so crazy like I, I almost um, yeah I'm, I'm I'm sure even people who are listening um, will be super surprised about this and I'm sure it will also like make sense you know if they like <laughs> if they think back about like on this but like it's like you would never have thought unless like now the studies have come out like and i'm sure even fitness coaches or fitness trainers will tell you the opposite like what you were mentioning earlier um you know about they doing stretching and all of a sudden if if they didn't stretch they would have felt less sore the next day um and I'm sure like the like I said, the fitness trainers would be like, Yo, imagine how sore you would have been now if you didn't stretch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is completely false, which is funny. Um, but there's like stretching's had a lot of good research recently from it. Like uh the idea of holding extreme stretches for hypertrophy um seems to be a real thing, which is quite interesting. So stretching can actually cause muscle growth in some instances. But it's you gotta literally hold the stretch for like an hour. 
<laughs> to do it, which uh, nobody's got time for. But um, the, the next bit myth and stretching is stretching to prevent injuries or reduce the risk of injuries. Now, there's some good research that actually compares stretching to other forms of training, and basically there's limited evidence showing stretching has any effect on reducing injuries. That's a, a study out of 2005 from Hart. Um, then we also have Larson, who is a big high-intensity interval training researcher. And they did a whole minute analysis on this. And basically, apart from a few outlying studies, consistently favorable estimates were obtained for all injury prevention measures except for stretching. So that means that every other training modality, uh, any type of cardio, strength training, um, I don't know what are they, exercise, they had a bunch of exercises in there, but if you just go through the main ones of strength training and cardio, all helped reduce the risk of injury except static stretching. So static stretching basically is the only mode of exercise that doesn't reduce your risk of injury. Um, <clears throat> we can see another study from Perilous and his colleagues um, on the impact of pre-run stretching. And basically, they're saying there's no rational explanation about how and why stretching before training can prevent or reduce the risk of injury, which is a, a strong statement there. So bear that in mind. Also bear in mind that being very uh, flexible through, for example, if you're hypermobile already and you're stretching or you're getting into these extreme ranges of motion through stretch tolerance before training, you can actually increase your risk of injury. So, Can I actually <clears throat> speak on that? Yes, yeah. go. So th that's a good example um, that I actually wanted to talk about when you were talking about hypermobile. Now, yep. for example, I've always been an athlete that I'm – I'm actually more on the stiff side of things. So I have always had to like do things to get more mobile. And I would talk about like the things I did and not stretching to get more mobile, but actually things with like barbells and mobility and things like that, that helped me become more mobile, which then helped me be in better, um, in better ranges of uh, motion so that I can obviously lift better and more efficient um, without causing pain or without putting like further stress on my joints and stuff. But my sister, for example, she's the opposite. Now she was hypermobile. So she's one of those people who even now that, you know, 20 years down the line hasn't done any type of like stretching or even exercise. She is like, she's the opposite to me where like she'll just train every now and again and she will still be able to do like splits um, without even stretching. But even her shoulders were super hypermobile. So when she was doing weightlifting and competing, um, she was actually one like she had like a normal uh, grip with like what you would have for the snatch. So for those people who don't know what a snatch is, so in Olympic weightlifting, it's the, it's the movement that basically goes from the ground straight overhead, but your grip is also relatively wide. Um, and that obviously, the, the wider your grip, it depends on your mobility, will then put you into like a good position um, for when you catch the snatch. Now, my sister, for example, quite a few times, she would snatch the bar and because she was hypermobile and she didn't yet have the stabilizers in her shoulders, the bar would just go. And if her bar swung out a little bit, the bar would just go right around her. So there was a few times where the bar just went right around, right around. Um, 
and like they even like the coaches and stuff like narrowed her grip a little bit and yeah just from like doing all of that and having the bar um and not having like the strong stabilizing muscles in her shoulders and not being able to block the weight um from being hypermobile she actually ended up stretching the ligaments even more which then caused her to really injure herself and she had to get surgery to um, basically shorten the ligaments in her shoulders to be able to be able to move properly again um and that being said you know after that she was kind of like no i don't really want to do weightlifting anymore um but yeah she she's a good example of being hypermobile in what you were saying how that can actually cause like someone like that stretches even more can cause even more injuries or put you at risk for more injuries yeah for sure that's uh that's definitely a a problem that people don't usually address that thing just being more flexible is better but in most cases is or in every case it is not being more flexible than you need to is is not good but when we're talking mobility mobility is a different beast so we'll, we'll cover that in a, in a bit once we go through the rest of this um but the idea of uh, what other myths did I have? Stretching to get more flexible was the next one. So this idea of becoming more flexible, again, as we talked about mobility. So when we talk uh, flexibility, it's typically passive. So someone lifting your leg, for example, like the hamstring stretch and seeing how far your leg goes, that would be like passive range of motion. As <clears throat> physical activity enthusiasts probably listen to this, you know, having passive range of motion doesn't really matter. You don't shouldn't really care too much. You're you're looking at being actively flexible while doing different movements. For example, getting to the bottom of a squat uh, with the bar over your head, like in the snatch, like Mona was just mentioning now, will be an example of having mobility to do that or flexibility to do that. Now, mobility is is being able to produce force or having strength at end ranges of motion. So you should be able to control the entire range of motion that would be mobility versus flexibility would just be passive and it kind of just goes there, but you cannot produce any force in that end range, which is a problem. So this idea of stretching to get flexible, for example, holding your hamstring stretches, uh, create does create short-term change. So you will be more flexible, sure, like directly after. But it's not because you actually made the muscle longer or you became more flexible as, or, as an example. It's a, that's a neuromuscular change. So essentially, you've just increased your stretch tolerance or your tolerance to pain uh, in those end ranges, and your brain lets you go a little further. To make real change, like muscle architecture change, so it is a chronic or long-term change in flexibility and mobility, static stretching doesn't do it for you. And I run through a few different papers and, and why, but basically, this is a good one by... Freitas, I can never say any of these people's last names. I swear researchers just all have funny last names. Freitas and colleagues in 2018, this was a review about uh, if chronic static stretching can change essentially the muscle tendon properties. And what they found was stretching interventions from three to eight weeks in duration do not seem to change either the muscle or tendon properties, although it increases the extensibility and tolerance to a greater tensile force, meaning that Hey, these people kind they could go a little further with their stretches, so they had greater stretch tolerance, but the muscle and tendon never changed in length or changed uh, in any way architecturally. So 
It means thus they concluded that chronic stretching shorter than eight weeks seemed to mostly occur at the sensory level. And this is important because if you're in a sport that requires a certain range of motion that you can't typically get to, and the way you try to get there is through stretching, when you do hit that range of motion, when you need to apply force, that's where injury happens because you haven't developed the strength at that range of motion. Uh, so bear that in mind. There's another good paper around in 2014. <clears throat> so this is, again, showing the same thing. So the increased range of motion could not be explained by the structural changes in the muscle tendon unit and was likely due to increased stretch tolerance, possibly due to adaptations uh, of nerve endings. So that's a 2014 paper by Conrad and Tilp. And then we also have another one by Medeiros. Oh, I wonder if it's CrossFit Medeiros publishing papers in 2016, but that's a... Uh, a meta-analysis here. So basically static stretching was effective in increasing hamstring flexibility. So again, we're talking that passive range of motion um, regardless of stretching parameters being used. So that's just showing, hey, you can, you can increase range of motion, but it's passive and it's not as effective as doing something with, as you say, mobility or strength. Now, instead of doing static stretching to get these ranges of motion, Full range of motion strength training is mobility training. So you're already doing it if you're doing full range of motion strength training. If you need extra, I find, I guess you could say stretching-based strength exercises are awesome. So, for example, people will talk about one of the biggest mistakes I've seen and from my experience is people typically have, for example, tight, rounded shoulders. So they go, okay, my pecs and lats are really short and tight or upper traps are usually overrated. So they go, okay, I'm not going to train those muscles. The problem is they're short, tight, et cetera, like that because they're weak. And you can fix that issue by actually training the muscle to the full range of motion. And what I found is doing exercises that put the muscle under extreme stretch, change that very quickly. I recently, my shoulders were a little buggy. I fixed it literally after two sessions after having months of bugginess through doing machine uh, pec flies and really accentuating that end range of motion, getting that huge stretch through the pecs. That would be one way to improve the mobility of your shoulders. Another way is a lat pull-down, but it's called a stretcher. So you use the neutral grip handles. You'll stand, behind, like you'll stand and you have your foot against the seat of the lat pull-down. So you've basically got one leg on the floor, one leg on the seat, and you're going to lean forward and let the cable pull your lats and shoulders into that position, then you're kind of going to lean back a little bit and then perform like a pseudo pull-down row to your chest. And then you're going to lean forward and release and get that stretch through the lats. That is another way to really open your lats and your shoulders. Those would be two main shoulder ones. For the lower body, Mona has a really good one for the adductors or the groin area where she's basically lying on the ground with her feet, the bottom of her feet together. So it creates like a butterfly position. And then putting like a 10 kilo plate on one knee on the floor and then like lifting it up and letting it come back down. It's a really good one for your adductors. Uh, you can do the same thing with your calves, standing calf fries, holding the bottom position for two, three seconds under load to improve ankle mobility. Uh, far better than just doing a shitty calf stretch. Uh, doing something that you can do that seated and standing. <clears throat> for the hips and the quads and the hip flexors, hip flexor stretches, yeah, they're okay, but they're not going to give you the same benefits as if you hold a loaded Bulgarian split squat isometric in the bottom position. That shit 
waist, your rectus femoris, which is a muscle, quad muscle that runs from the top of your hip past your knee, and your hip flexors. So I've done that up to like 50 kilos for like 20, 30 seconds. Uh, you can do that lighter for longer, etc. There's multiple different ways you can go about lengthening the hip flexors and the quads that don't involve doing shitty quad stretches that aren't going to change muscle architecture. Do you want to, when we're talking about changing muscle architecture, specifically with mobility training, we're essentially adding sarcomeres and series known as basically blocks of muscle fibers. We're adding more of them in a row. By adding more of them in a row, we lengthen the muscle. And the, and the benefits of doing that are that you can produce uh, peak torque or known as uh, max rotational force at longer muscle lengths. And in terms of injury prevention or reducing the risk of injury, <clears throat> this is a major factor because you're able to withstand higher forces at longer muscle lengths. So a really good example is if you're sprinting, the hamstring's the most commonly injured muscle when you're sprinting. And if you think about your knee at a 90-degree angle, let's just say that's the angle of the hamstring that you can produce peak torque and that means when you when your leg starts casting past that and opens the knee angle, you become more susceptible to injury because you're essentially getting weaker due to the length tension relationship of that muscle. But if I can increase the angle in which I can produce peak torque of the hamstrings from this 90-degree knee angle out to, say, 110 degrees, it means if I do get in that position <clears throat> for whatever reason, you know that's where I can produce max force. I'm not going to run into injury problems. So that is why it is important to do your... I guess you could say, quote-unquote, flexibility training loaded. So you can uh, <clears throat> develop these adaptations, and these adaptations are developed through isometric and eccentric uh, exercise mainly, which you're getting when you're doing something like a loaded isometric bogey in a split squat. You're getting it doing a heavy chest fly, for example, and pausing at the bottom. All those things are awesome. So that covers most of the hip, ankle, knee, shoulders, uh, you can do the same thing with triceps, like overhead extensions. Anything that gives you a full range of motion and a huge load stretch is massive. Uh, I don't know if you want to add anything on top of that before we move on, Mona. Yes, I was actually going to mention that um, with the type of training that I've been doing, like um, postpartum with, you know, since I've given birth, it's like I've been doing a lot of bodybuilding training and the whole also like, you know, the thing behind bodybuilding training is like you then shorten the muscles and you become less mobile. Um, but because of the exercises that we've been doing and the strength training that we've been incorporating, like you were talking about, you know, doing like chest flies um, and even like the mobility and things that I was that I were doing um, or was doing in between like I was so surprised the other day when I basically tested like an overhead squat and I still felt super mobile I still felt really good in that position and it surprised me um, but then again it's also not surprising because of the type of training that we do like you were mentioning like if a person does um, you know if you do any type of like movement under load like strength training and you really open up you know open up the chest or um like you were mentioning like bulgarian split squats you know for like you know the quads and um you know even just like sitting in a squat position with like weights on you like just really helps you 
open up like the hips and helps loosen up those ankles. So it's not a surprise, but yet it was a surprise because the whole thing around bodybuilding. And I even thought with all the bodybuilding that I'd been doing, that I'd be more stiff. Um, one thing I also wanted to add was when you were talking about like the mobility um, uh, exercises that they can do, you know, to kind of like loosen up the ankles and their hips and things like that. And one thing that helped me a lot as well for warming up and, you know, just to feel like my hips and stuff like move a lot better is I've been doing a lot of squat cars um now for those of you that don't know what like a squat car is it's literally like you will sit in a squat position you'll hold either a kettlebell or a plate or some form of weight and you literally just like move around like from side to side where you kind of like roll the hip like you'll do like a <laughs> five to the one side and like five to the other side um, and you basically with that movement and doing it with weight you loosen up the hips you loosen up the ankles and I find when I do that I just feel really comfortable going into a squat afterwards so that's almost like one of my go-to squat things that I do um, other than what you were mentioning um, like when I was doing weightlifting and obviously handling a lot heavier load um, the you know the butterfly that you lay down and you put the plate onto your legs and you basically just open and close your legs um like that one is another amazing one for the legs and i just i just felt like it kind of activated my glutes as well so when i started my lifting i just felt like i moved better i felt like i you know i felt springy i felt loose i felt nice and warm and it kind of gave me a sweat as well so like by doing that I kind of felt like that was a great way to warm up going into, you know, more explosive, heavier loads. <clears throat> yeah, those are great points as well for, for people to follow. Uh, just to finish out the stretching portion, we can talk about pain as well. So a lot of people will say you're in pain because you're tight, which is bullshit as well. So we can uh, look at, one of the best papers on static stretching, if you're into reading, is by Nuzzo in 2020. If you search uh, the case for retiring flexibility as a major component of physical fitness, probably the best paper ever written about flexibility. goes into a lot of different things around, um, well, around flexibility. <laughs> so just to read one of the conclusions here that covers multiple papers, I think seven of them. So sit and reach score. So I'm sure everyone's done the sit and reach exercise in PE class back at school. Basically you're sitting, you have your feet against this box and then you lean forward as far as you can and try and move the measuring stick thing. Um, and it measures how far you can reach with straight legs. And basically this test does not predict future incidents of low back pain or injury in adults. It doesn't predict hamstring injuries in male soccer players. It doesn't predict hamstring injuries in Australian rules football players. It doesn't predict lower limb pain in adolescents. It also doesn't distinguish industrial workers with and without a history of lower back discomfort. So essentially, flexibility has nothing to do with your pain in these instances. Um, we can also talk about flexibility and performance. People often say, you know, you need to be more flexible to have better athletic performance or perform better, which is also false. So <clears throat> uh, that same paper by Nuzzo, just some more conclusions from there I'll, I'll read for you. So 
flexibility levels often are the same as in controls and do not correlate with athletic performance and do not differentiate athletes of different playing abilities. And I've seen this firsthand among, I don't know how many professional athletes that I've worked with. There are some stiff ass motherfuckers out there playing their professional sport and you wouldn't even realize how stiff. And I'm talking about like the fastest players on teams that are just completely stiff, which makes sense because uh, you need to be able to say you're almost like a tight heart spring when you're one of those really hardcore sprinters and being very flexible is counter to being very, very fast in most cases. And you'll yeah, you'll find there are very, very unflexible professional athletes. Um, here's some more as well. So, Sit and reach scores, again, our same test, are comparable between elite and sub-elite athletes. And this is in 100-meter sprinting, 200-meter sprinting, handball, climbing, parachuting, taekwondo. Sit and reach scores are not statistically different between starters and non-starters for American football, selected and non-selected players in Australian rules football, which when we're comparing elite and sub-elite athletes, that is the best way to know whether a physical quality matters to that to the success of that sport by those athletes. Another good example is through uh, agility. So uh, change of direction of speed between sub-elite and elite players. Sub-elite players can even perform better, but when you add the sport-specific reaction stimulus, the elite players far outperform, which means that that thing is important to those athletes. Uh, do you want to jump in, Mona? No? You got your hand up. Yes, I did want to. My phone fell. <laughs> But I, I just wanted to say that what you were talking about, like the elite level athletes that are just like so freaking stiff. Now, when I owned a CrossFit box back in South Africa, I had a lot of um, like professional rugby players come and train at my gym. And by my surprise, they were so stiff, but not in a form that like helped them. Like they honestly like had zero technique um you know a bunch of them also like got injured and stuff like you know playing rugby etc but like um they really couldn't move well at all and I was so surprised because if I look at videos that are posted like with that I've seen with like the All Blacks players and things like that, you know, how a lot of them even do like Olympic lifting and they've got really good techniques. Um, I was just super, super surprised. Um, and that kind of opened my eyes. Like, you know, like sometimes you can be like an elite level athlete and if you can't move well, I feel like, and that's not like with the stretching kind of thing. It's like, if you can't, even sit in a squat or like bend down or pick something up like it's to me that is something that's a red flag and will then cause injuries later on but again someone like that doesn't necessarily have to do like you were mentioning like stretching is not going to fix it and I'm pretty sure that if they had biokineticists working with them or you know even like some fitness trainers they would tell them you know you need to stretch in order to get more supple um, but that's not the answer um but i would then recommend like you were mentioning like them doing like things like screen training but actually or doing some sort of a like mobility with load um so that they can 
you know, go into a squat or, you know, be able to move from side to side or whatever. It's just, it, it was just super surprising to me that like someone at that level um, could be that immobile. I know like you've mentioned before um, and, and that kind of, uh, also open my eyes like I've seen like some athletes here track and field athletes like the way they do certain movements obviously they do it to benefit their sport um, but I wanted to know from you James like what is your opinion on someone that you know is supposed to be an elite level athlete but like literally can't even squat down like without going onto their toes or just yeah, they can't. Their hips are too tight. Their ankles are too tight. Like, they just can't move. What is your opinion on that? What do you mean by what is my opinion? Like, what do you think? Is that is that, like, how... Because, obviously, you, like, that's your expertise being, like, working with rugby players. Um, like, is that a normal thing that you've seen? Have you seen it, like, worse in, like, worse in other countries? Have you worked with athletes that are just, like, that stuff that, you know, they can't move? Are these athletes more at risk to get injured or, you know, possibly not performing as well as the athletes that are, you know, moving better and are able to go into squats and do snatches and clean and jerks and those kind of things. Yeah, I don't think the Olympic lifts makes a difference, but everyone I've, everyone I've seen can squat to some degree, even if it's like a half squat, right? Everyone can get into a half squat position, so... Specifically with those athletes, it would be using the half squat potentially, but then using other variations if you're going to develop leg strength, machines, single leg, like pocket squats and stuff like that. But then you may work on the mobility aspect through various mobility circuits and then throwing them under load, etc. But it's not something like I'm not sitting there being like you have to be able to squat deep because it's just not that's just not true. I've worked with many many athletes that never squat below parallel in terms of powerlifting standards. So because so if you are a rugby player and you have to move in all kinds of directions and yep. like a rugby player comes to you and he can't squat below 90 degrees, would you say... Do you, mean, some, do, you mean, do you mean like power, like powerlifting parallel or are you talking about like 90 degree knee angle? No, I'm talking like 90 degree like like knee angle. But I, I mean, I, I wouldn't even... Like a rugby player, I wouldn't even ask them to do like a powerlifting squat. I'm talking about like if you had to ask them literally to do like a bodyweight squat, they can't, yep. they can't, like how a baby sits and picks something yep. up, for example. Um, they can't do that. They literally can't, like they, their hips or their ankles are so stiff that they just can't get themselves into that position. Like mm -hmm. to me, that's a red flag, but I'm saying like as someone like like you that's worked with professional rugby players, would yep. you consider that to be okay? Um, or would you say, okay, no, this person needs to work on, you know, we would definitely address it. motion and stuff like that in order to become even better at their sport or even prevent them from getting injured later on i don't know if that makes sense yeah you, you would you would definitely you would definitely address it and work on it because you still want to have some strength at longer ranges of motion but as you, as you mentioned there it's not going to make them a better player it might potentially keep them on the field longer uh just because if they get into a funny position they're less likely to get injured but overall like there are other things that other positions that they you probably need to address as well on top of that that could be even more important for example, being able to move laterally, um, 
depending on the depending on the player and the position and what their demands are, being able to get low enough to clean up rucks or on the scrum, etc. But because they typically do that all the time on the field anyway, they they can get there. <laughs> they can do those things. So, um, yeah, you would still address it. It's not something that you just ignore. Um, just because someone can't get into a certain position doesn't mean you don't work towards getting them there. But it's just not something where it's like, okay, we have to take, we have to strip the entire program. And everything has to be centered around getting this person to be able to get into this position. So PVC pipes only and foam rollers and mobility drills, et cetera. That's where it gets wrong. That's where it becomes very wrong very quickly um, because you've just taken everything out in the pursuit of something that's not going to improve performance. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and that's why I wanted to like address that because there are coaches out there who will do that. They will strip the athlete down and be like, you are not doing any squats with load or any strength work until you get that's a that's a very FMS and you get yeah thing. and you get do you, remember, do you remember the FMS? Uh, is that functional that? movement screen? Yeah, yeah. Where you had to like step over a hurdle or something like that and do these bullshit tests, and then you had like level one, two, or three, and like level one meant you couldn't do any training with load and level two meant that was the biggest crock of bullshit ever i think actually soccer professional soccer teams still use it because professional soccer um coaching staff are fucking retarded like actually full retard dumbasses running those teams getting paid a shit ton of money <laughs> honestly i fucking hate it they're so fucking stupid um but they get paid a shit ton of money and they run these shitty fms uh tests and basically tell their players oh you you wobbled when you put your foot over that uh that hurdle, so it means you gotta, you only get a two instead of a three, which means we can't load that movement pattern anymore. We have to work on your balance, and they'll be on bozy balls and all this other bullshit. Fuck, people are so stupid. I can't believe, I can't believe the professional sporting world fucking puts up with that shit. But yeah, that's but just how that, it is. That's why it's so important for us to like talk about that, you know, and like address these things, and not like you know, it, it's easy to say, yeah, okay you know um stretching is bad and things like that but like that's why like hearing from a professional like yourself what other people do that are wrong um or what other people do that might be like something that is correct because i think a lot of people go out there with like the misconception of thinking and again this is often what you get taught and this is also what these little sometimes these like little weekend courses and things like that that's what like it teaches these people but because also a lot of them have done it their whole life they haven't even bothered re-educating themselves um and that's why like as a coach you know they always they they say that if you are a really good coach you are constantly evolving you're constantly learning you never know everything because things are always changing and new research is coming out so if you don't you don't have to be that coach who's like okay i'm going to put electrodes on my athlete to make sure like he's moving correctly or blah 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 or like go so much into the science that you actually miss the whole purpose behind why you are doing what you are doing um but knowing that like there's certain myths and stuff like over the years that gets debunked like the stretching myth um you know it's important as a fitness professional to be able to stay up to date with these kind of things and i think that is the problem with coaches nowadays or strength and conditioning coaches in particular because they are the ones that would be put in charge of the athletes 
um, you know, movement patterns and strength training, etc. Where like, you know, if you're like just a pure rugby coach, like that's not necessarily your role. Um, and people hire these people and they can't understand why the athletes aren't making progress or, you know, why the athletes aren't playing better um, or why the athletes are potentially getting more injured. Um, and it's these kind of things, this old school mentality that is one of the biggest problems, I think, in coaches nowadays. And that's why I told you before, like, you know, like you are a really good strength and conditioning coach of like what I've seen. I actually, and not just because you are my husband, but I have not seen a strength and conditioning coach that stays up to date with research, you know, constantly talking to other coaches, constantly, you know, um, you know, seeing what's out there and like testing things. And, you know, you are constantly like evolving and you're like the typical you're like the pinnacle of like what a strength and conditioning coach should be. But then you see like certain strength and conditioning coaches that just really give strength and conditioning coaches a bad name because they do like the shitty things that you are talking about, like, you know, putting them on BOSU balls um, and saying, you know, you can't be able, you're not able to um, move in that movement pattern anymore because, um, you know, your balance isn't right or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think that it's so important to educate yourself as a coach and continuously educate yourself. Oh, Mona gassing me up on the uh, podcast here. So if anyone anyone likes or takes Mona's opinions to heart, hit us up if you want some coaching or something, you know. I'll help you guys out. But um, actually, on, that, on the whole coaching thing there as well, obviously New Year's is coming up. So if you actually want help, getting into mad shape make sure you uh i'm gonna send this out over email but make sure you email us support at liftbigeatbig.com um we can send you some more information on how we can get you a mad shape for the new year i mean we just did it we did it just to essentially show you guys how you can do it not let's not say easy it's simple not easy but it's very simple and it doesn't involve cutting your fucking carbohydrates out going fucking carnivore and doing all those other bullshit that everyone else trying to do i mean we got uh, well, the photos will be in the email too for anyone listening. But do you want to maybe dive into a little bit of that photo shoot, Leif? Yes. Oh my gosh, it was firstly it was so amazing. But for me, I feel like I like I probably have like a different reason of like why I did it than you. Um, and for me, it was to kind of because I've always been someone that does really well with working towards a goal like once I have something I'm working towards I put my head down I grind um, but since I've been postpartum you know coming from being a an elite level athlete it, it's a whole different ball game because now you have to manage you know a baby you have to manage little sleep sometimes not eating properly sometimes eating too little um which which was often the case with me um and then obviously not always getting in enough sleep so you weren't always fully recovered but what i did was i wanted to see how i can get the best out of training but working towards a goal so my why was like instead of me competing um obviously my why is like i'm doing it so i can be you know a really good role model for mia and show her like how much I um, 
you know, how much I care about like health and fitness um, and movement in general, but also so that I can do these things with her one day when she's older or even just normal things like climb a tree or do a handstand or cartwheel or whatever um, or run with her without feeling broken. So I really love you know, incorporating fitness and those kind of things, because I know I'll use that one day with um, my little one and being active with her. But for me, this photo shoot meant I am working towards a goal that is not a competition, but I wanted to see how I can transform my body, my new body uh, postpartum with the type of training that I was doing. And like, James mentioned like you know you will see in our emails like how our bodies transform but for me per se I just focused on eating as much as I can um, making sure I hit my protein goals that was like my number one thing um, and then just like really I went into like a full-on bulk um, because after my pregnancy I dropped a lot of weight um, so for me, I wanted like my athletic body back. I wanted to, you know, get in shape. I wanted to feel strong. I wanted to look strong. Um, and for me, that's one of my things that like helps boost my confidence as well. Um, and that's exactly what I did. You know, I didn't train like I did before, um, six days a week, twice a day. Um, there were some weeks where I could only train twice a week or three times a week. Um, but I really made sure that I was like intentional with my training. I knew that every time I stepped into the gym, I was working towards this photo shoot that I wanted to do. And for me as well, I wanted to make sure that like, I wanted to show that you can do it. Like you can be a mom and you can look good and you can prioritize your fitness and it, it is something that like I think a lot of people um, think that once you have a baby you can't prioritize fitness or you can't look after yourself or your body goes you know backwards um, I honestly feel like even throughout my whole weightlifting career I don't think my body has ever looked as jacked is what it did going into this photo shoot and that really like showed me that like you know if there's a will like it can be done um and like I mentioned you know it, it wasn't about you know training excessively or whatever it just meant like if I only had 30 minutes to train I made sure that 30 minutes of training was a quality training um you know I went to do the gym I really pushed myself um, but I also did what I could. If there was a day where I really wasn't feeling it, where I was feeling overly tired or I, you know, I knew I didn't eat enough or had enough water or whatever, I would then listen to my body and cut back a bit on training. But the main goal was like, I said to myself, I want to get like a minimum of at least three workouts in a week. And I honestly, I tried my best to stick with that. Um, because I knew, again, I had that goal. And I think a lot of people don't or they underestimate the power of having a goal or what it actually does. Because when you have this goal or there's something that you're working towards, you won't always feel like we've talked about this before. You won't always feel motivated. But there were times where, you know, James would even tell me, when you step into the gym, you are going to feel better. Um, and I just needed that little push from him. Um, 
Or I would just say to myself, you know, I'm going to just go into the gym. Can you look after Mia for like 45 minutes? I'm literally just going to put on my earphones and I'm just going to, you know, get a quick workout. And even if I have to cut it short, but just get something in. Um, And yeah, I, I mean, for me, that was just something that I wanted to do for me and prove to myself that, you know, it can be done. And like I said, also just like show moms out there that if, you make time for those kind of things and it won't always be easy. Sometimes you have to work out with your baby. Um, Sometimes you have to work out in the house and do body weight exercises. Um, But doing something and having that something to work towards really does make a big difference at the end of the day when you are working towards a goal. But yeah, seeing those photos made me so excited for the future because to me, I achieve something massive in 2023 um you know even with all of my like international results and stuff like that in my sport that I've achieved I almost feel like this is even more impressive but like for myself because I gave birth and I got super jacked naturally (laughs) all within one year and the transformation was just insane um and yeah, all I did was follow literally our Live Big Eat Big programming. Um, you know, I started off with the glute specialization program. I finished that. I then went on to the leg specialization program. Um, I finished that. And now I'm actually on the Pump Dragon program. Um, and yeah, I didn't do any special diet. I didn't cut. I didn't do anything like that. For me, it was purely just doing the work, training. Yeah, I love that. You did get jacked. Again, we'll, we'll have those, uh, we'll have those, some of those images in the email coming on Monday-ish, I think. So that'll all be there. But I think that wraps uh, this Twitter space up. Make sure you follow us on Twitter if you're listening on podcast platforms. Come follow the Big Epic on Twitter. You got something to add, Mona? I wanted to say, what was your why? Why did you want to do the photo shoot? Because we're doing our couple's photo shoot. That was why. That was your why? Yeah. <laughs> but but you that also, was having a set date. Yes, but also like you worked towards it. Like you said, okay, I'm gonna cut weight and show people that, you know, it can be done. Yeah. I feel like you have so much to offer, so you need to talk about it. I'm, 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 if people listen to the previous podcast, it's exactly the same message. Um, all I did was track my food. And then made sure I had my protein. Training was basically the same, making sure I had the gym. And yeah, and I just tracked my food and stuck with it. And I stuck with it. And I didn't stick with it all or nothing. So there were days where I, you know, we went out to eat somewhere, just made sure I, for example, went to our favorite place, Cafe Java. Instead of giving, getting the full omelet that has cheese in it and everything else, I'll get the omelet with egg whites and no cheese. And I'll still have all the other stuff in there. But and you know, just more changes I like that. I think what's also important to add is like you have been so swamped with work and you still got it done. So I feel like that's a massive. That is true. We we did this with a little ba- crazy little baby, a crazy little dog and running our online businesses every day. And we still managed to, to do this. So that, you know, if you're struggling, if you have full-time job and family and you're struggling, hit us up. Because we know exactly how it is. I mean, we just went through it. 
I mean, we go through it every damn day, but we just went through it as we were uh, getting in shape just for this photo shoot. So make sure you hit us up and we can get started in the new year as well to get you guys going. Uh, you can reply to the emails. I'll be sending out emails anyway over the next uh, few days. If you're on the email list, if you're not, dude, what are you doing? Make sure you follow us and get on that list. But um, is that everything you wanted to add there, Mona? Yep. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, and we will uh, see you guys next week.